0: Hello and welcome to That Band Life. I'm Jeff Young, Director of Camps for Music for All from Indianapolis, Indiana.
1: Whoa. Okay. Uh, And I'm still Bobby Lambert, director of bands at Wando High School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. That Band Life, a podcast about making our careers as music educators more fulfilling so we can be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. We actually had to pull that out of the mothballs so that we could rewrite it for Jeff's new job. Jeff, tell us about what you're doing now. I start tomorrow full-time
0: with Music for All, and I will be director of camps and uh, so right now, the, the main camp, the only camp is the Summer Symposium at Ball State University at the end of June, beginning of July. But we're looking at, uh, in the future, hopefully having some regional camps, maybe some day camps, maybe some opportunities for people from different parts of the country to have an amazing experience like we have up here in Muncie.
1: I need to check into those Summer Symposium camps. They sound like a lot of fun. I <laughs> hear they have some good people at them and... Some good things happened there. Well, the
0: drum major part of camp is amazing because of Bobby Lambert <laughs> and his team. So, uh.
1: And the marching side is wonderful with Jeff Young and, and his team of specialists and the color guard with Susie Harloff. Just wonderful. And Jeff, you know, we might as well just throw out like what are, what are the dates for the summer symposium this summer?
0: Oh, you put me right on the uh, on the spot there. But it's at the end of June, and uh, if you go to uh, Bands of America and search for Summer Symposium, you'll find that. I believe the last day of camp is July 2nd.
1: I think you're right. Yeah,
0: and so Thanks there's a leadership 26. weekend before that with Fran mm-hmm. Kick and his team. Oh, and yeah. And uh, we're only doing the outdoor tracks this year. You know, we've had two years where we haven't had camp, and we thought, what a great way to return. But with just, you know, focusing on the outdoor Uh, parts of camp like the marching man track the drum majors the color guard track and the marching percussion
1: well i think that anybody who's had something canceled knows why we're being a little cautious about this you don't you know we we want to keep kids safe first and foremost but we also want to try and do something that has the greatest likelihood of being able to pass through all the protocols and uh you know we've talked about this for a long time i you know i think people would be interested to know we started talking about this camp last august and you know what are some things that we can assure and ensure that it happens assuring people that it's safe and ensuring that it happens and i think we i think we come up with we came up with some great things then and i know jeff's going to make sure that it's one of the best camps um yeah, you know, if you for those of you who don't know Jeff Young that well, everything he touches turns to gold, and so if he's he's over this camp now, I think it's going to be even better than it always already has been. So congratulations, Jeff.
0: Thanks, and thanks for saying that. You know, camp. I've been I've been passionate about camp since the early two thousands, and yeah, uh, it it's just one of my favorite weeks of the whole year, and uh, I want everybody to be able to experience that, students and staff alike. So. We're going to be working hard to make it, uh, positively life-changing as they say.
1: Wow. He's already got the company tagline and everything. Wow. Good for you.
0: Memorize the mission statement and vision statements and all that.
1: I'm sure. So you can just rattle that off, but congratulations, Jeff on doing that. And we, it was, it's interesting. We were just at Midwest back in December and Jeff and I got to sit down with the podcasting store, um, which is we had never heard of before, but it's a place where if you are interested in doing any kind of educational podcasting, especially for your own students, you can go there and check things out uh, and buy kind of everything that you need to set that up. But we had a, he and I, they asked us to do a, a well, we didn't really know what we were doing. Let's right. be honest. You we and I sat showed down. Up. Yeah, we showed up and we thought we were just going to talk to some people, but they said, we want you to do a show right now. And literally the next two minutes were, so what do you want to talk about? So we talked about Jeff's new job and we talked about, uh, you know, the Midwest experience and some of those things. But we, we, we teased this podcast and we talked about there was going to be a really challenging one to talk about. It was going to be something that I think is – um, is out there, but yeah. nobody wants to say it.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: We're both uh, excited
0: about and scared to do this episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this this episode is called The Courage to Fail. And uh, I've been wrestling with it for a long time. And, you know, the right way to say it, the right way to um, talk about it. And I hope that everything comes across respectfully and, uh, compassionately with all of the different circumstances that are out there. Um, so with that, maybe I'll just kind of begin at the beginning. Yeah, let's go. Um, this, the past two years have been a trial, I think for everybody. And if it's shown any of us something it has sort of exposed any weaknesses that our program or we may have Uh, and you know whenever you have weaknesses you can either run away from them or you can take steps to try and address them sometimes addressing a weakness isn't fixing it it's just accepting it um And uh, I would admit that I am one of those people that I do not like addressing weaknesses or trying to accept them. I will do everything I can to just fix them, even if I can't fix them. And so this fall started much like the other falls of previous years had. Um, we, We got to have a band camp we got to do things and it was it was wonderful uh, we we were so excited to be back the kids were working harder than ever and i think many people experienced that especially back in the summer and september the kids were just hungry to learn but i think it was around that time too that i started to notice we didn't quite have all of the resources. You know, sometimes that's financial. Sometimes it's the experience level of the kids. Sometimes it's the experience level of the staff. Sometimes it's the mental fortitude of everyone. But I felt like that there were expectations from ourselves, the students, families, and the community, and also the musical community. I felt like they were almost higher than they had ever been before because we were so excited to be back. But then... It became apparent that at least for us, we had fewer resources than we had normally had. So I kind of felt like we started with this deficit of trying to do more than ever with less than we had ever had before. Um, I don't know if you guys felt that at Carmel, Jeff, or if there was, a, you know, any kind of similarities with those things. So please jump in whenever you you hear that. But in talking with friends, that was felt around, Quite yeah, I think a bit.
0: in addition to feeling less, I felt a lot of more in that there was more um mental illness and yeah. and and just uh social emotional um deficits. There were more right. of those than I've ever seen before. Um so I think it was a combination of the two things.
1: And I think I I, I was under the delusion that we well, we're back and so everything's going to be okay and everyone's going to get over that, but the last year was traumatic, and it's going to be around for a while and yeah. and yes, we're still dealing with Covid, but I'm saying just the mental trauma that going away for a year um plays is pretty incredible and if you've if you're a Marvel fan, you've seen that there's the the snap, and then there's the return of everyone and it's really interesting now to see how marvel is is kind of. Addressing that re-entry back into society and back into culture in almost the same way we're seeing real life right now. They, they, you know, if you watch some of the movies, they have trauma centers that are set up for people who are just re-entering. I almost wish we had had those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt like we, I felt like we needed that. So, but we prepared sooner than ever, anticipating we may not have all the resources necessary, such as people and level of musical preparation so we felt like because the kids were hungry or we could compensate with heart or with hard work or preparation or planning, but it always felt like every rehearsal and every competition had the shadow of COVID hanging over it. Like there were so many times that I was writing protocols of how to get on buses or how to come back to rehearsal. How, how do we do drill learning? How do we handle band camp altogether? How do we handle meals? Like all of those things, everything added a completely different layer. So instead of just trying to play B-flat concert in tune, it was, well, let, let's make sure that the air is filtered well enough. Let's make sure that everyone, that no one has a temperature and no one is showing any symptoms. And no one should also travel anywhere and go anywhere where they may get symptoms. Like it, just the amount of... Um, pressure that I think comes from that was pretty overwhelming. And I think for a lot of of programs out there that maybe don't have multiple staff members, single band directors across the country, God bless you. I, I couldn't imagine doing this band thing now with the COVID issues on top of it alone. So, uh, you know, even even when I we think to- I heard
0: about fifty different stories when I was at Midwest about how how their band program handled that the year, yes, a year and a half for that matter, and and it, it's so wide ranging. You know, I'm sure our listeners are out there and they could give us a hundred different ways yes. that their schools handled things. Uh, Every you know, everywhere from you know business was kind of normal where we were to I saw my kids once every ten days.
1: Right, right. Um, But I, well, from from going to Jacksonville, Alabama, we were, we had 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 the protocols accepted, things were going well. And then the Friday before we left, the next Friday, um, we were told we had to have the kids all tested on Monday. And it came out at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon that we were going to have to have every kid tested. But I couldn't say anything about it. Until Monday. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so the weekend before when we're, when that should have been a weekend of us getting ready and really prepping the kids and making sure that everything's right. And, you know, all the uniforms are done. And it it was me sitting in my office for six of the eight hours, trying to figure out how to get people tested and different protocols at, It just, there was never a time where I felt like I was a band director. I felt like I needed a medical degree to um, make a lot of stuff go. And I think that a lot of people felt that um, throughout. So all that to say that with, with everything that happened this fall, and and I, I mean, let's, the elephant in the room for me is, yeah, we were 13th at Grand Nationals. Yeah. Sucked. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it sucked. Uh, and I, well, I, was talking with W. L. Whaley
0: about that. You know, longtime director at Pomona High School in Colorado. They yeah. came out to Grand Nationals, I think, three times total. And one time they were finalists, and then one time they took 12 and they were 13th. And the other time was that one year that they took 14 in finals and they were 15th. Oh my gosh! <laughs> he yeah, just like it is banging his head against the wall.
1: Yeah, it is incredibly deflating and defeating. Um it, and you, you don't really, you know, it's it's a punch in the gut. Well, so, you know, that that obviously happened. And uh, forgive me, that that sounds pompous. You know, I, when I first actually have recorded this already, I did kind of a preview like just in to make car, sure I can right? get through it. Yeah, yeah, on the yeah, um I I just to just to try and get my thoughts out, and I one of the things that came across is, man, that sounds really pompous. There are folks that would just love to go to Grand Nationals, and here I am whining and moaning about being thirteenth. So I apologize for that. But, uh, but as I, Bobby
0: always says, only you can that's determine right. success for your program. And that's right. Every and it program was has a different threshold that they're aiming toward. Yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from, Bobby, that you yeah. know, one of your goals this year was to make finals and to yeah. be a finalist. And um, I think anybody can understand that, that, you know, that was a metric for you that yeah. didn't happen. And that's that's disappointing. Right.
1: Um, so one of the things that also affected us that weekend affected multiple people was we had a student who came back positive for COVID while we were on the trip. He tested on Monday, was negative, but then came back positive. And so we had to go through the protocols. Who did he sit with near on the bus? Who was he around? Who did? And so we ended up having to take four people out of our show between prelims and semifinals. So that time where we should have been preparing, that's what what we were doing and um it was a it was a major challenge i i say that because i was with that student you know and, and making sure he got with his parents and making sure that everything was okay and i came into contact with covid now i had been vaccinated but i still got it so the wednesday after we got back i went to the doctor and i got a covid test and it came back positive it's so it was a health first so i can i can remember sitting in the room this, this PA had told me this is what it was. He gave me the sheet of paper and walked out. And I think I just sat there for about 10 minutes. Ugh. I, you know, it, it just sort of was like, I don't, I don't even know what to think right now. I don't know, you know, cause I was, I was and with so my family. That meant you were, you have, you'd have to be out of school the whole next week or two weeks. That, yes. Yes. It was, it was 10 days at that point. So I was out until Thanksgiving break. <laughs> So I, I was not around the kid our students for that long came home. My youngest daughter also had it. Uh, but luckily my oldest and my wife did not. And we have in-laws that are there with us. And luckily they did not as well. But it was, and it was one of, you know, I had the, the version where it just took a long time like I was never in a really bad place but I was fatigued for a very long time and the mental fog that I had read about is very real it was very real and we had been excited about
0: you coming in for the wedding as well <laughs> yeah. I got married that during that period of time too and Bobby couldn't even
1: come in for that it was Yeah that was a hard was like blow after blow <laughs> Yeah well, and and to add on to that um, my dad has had Alzheimer's for 17 years and has gone through several health problems in the last six months. And so I've been going back and forth to North Carolina with that. Uh, but after Thanksgiving, it became apparent that you know, we were in the last months. And um, so there's just, you know, and he is, you know, I lost my mother two years ago and lose it. I think those of us who have lost, I'm, I, I'm fortunate to have had my parents as long as I did, uh, but for those of you who have lost a parent or both parents, you know that you know the feeling of not having, not being someone's son anymore mm-hmm. is is pretty real. And uh, so I got to a pretty dark place yeah. around Thanksgiving. Understandably so. And I I wish I'd had this podcast um, to talk about some things. So what I, I think I had there were some assumptions that I was making about failure. Like, I used to think, what leads to failure? How, how, because I felt like a failure, complete and utter failure in my personal life, in my professional life, and all those things, just terrible. And here's what I thought I used to think that failure was brought about by unreasonable expectations. Or a lack of preparation, or a lack of resources, or a lack of direction. Like I thought, because you've done something bad, you will fail. That's some Old Testament stuff, right that, there, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't know how truthful that is. But and, and and you know what? Here here's the thing with with a lot of stuff. There is just enough truth in it. That it can be accepted because if you don't prepare, is failure likely? Sure. Yes. Yeah. However, and I, I wrote this this way. I said, what, what also leads to failure, the pursuit of excellence and growth, thinking outside the box, pushing limits. You know, the only way that you can find what those limits are is to push past them. And usually right when you push past them, you fail. But you at least can start to see what else is out there and, and what makes things go. And if, we've, we've always said to our students, if you, if you don't fail, you're not trying the right things. Well, that sounds all great and good when you're 16. When you're 46, you're supposed to not have that anymore. At least I assumed. That's what I thought. And I've, I've really come to a very different place about that. I, even so much who fails, like my perception of people who fail are people who are weak, unintelligent, lazy. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. It, If you are not those things, you will not fail. You know, what is that the uh, proof through the negative? Uh, If you are not these things, you will not fail. But I I've also found who else fails people who are high achievers, people who are really intelligent, people who are hardworking, people who want to continue to grow. I think when you see people not failing, it's because they're too comfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the more that I read about this and the more that I, you know, start to kind of reflect on people who were important in my life, they failed all the time and sometimes pretty bad. But I just, I never could see that side of it. And yeah, you know, so I I I know. Go ahead, as, as
0: parents like to, you know, teach our students lessons and our 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 kids lessons, and you know, um, you know, other young people that we mentor. But you know, sometimes we learn from them as well. And you know, my oldest son Connor, he went to um, a camp. I would say, without giving specifics, for his Army ROTC program this summer, and it was a twelve mile ruck. That they had to do. Oh which wow! A ruck is where you wear a really heavy backpack mm-hmm. and you're covering ground. I mean, I'm not a fast runner at all. I'm guessing a ruck is like me jogging, but with you know 45 to 60 pounds on my back right. over rough terrain and up and down and whatever. So this particular 12 mile ruck had a time cap, and um, Connor came in I think two seconds under the time cap, and you know. did he almost fail? Yeah. Did he not fail? Yes. But like the, you know, it had nothing to do with um, being lack of prepared or lack of direction. If he had failed, it was a really hard task. And so when we talk about, you know, only you can define success, you know, some, some tasks and, and goals that we set for ourselves are very, very difficult Yeah. and reaching them is amazing. And not reaching them doesn't mean that you were weak or unintelligent or lazy. You know, you might be a really high achiever who's intelligent and hardworking, but it was just such an audacious goal that you didn't quite make it there.
1: Well, I think it's also a thing of nothing happens in a vacuum you know, we, we set these goals and, you know, if I'm sitting here in my office, I can really focus on the band and what the kids are going to think and the families. But as soon as I walk outside the door, or get in my car and go home, well, then you have your family, you have your health, you have all of these other things that, that come around this. I'm I'm hoping our listeners are saying, crap, I've felt this way too. And I felt like I was the only one, because if you look at Instagram or Facebook it's about. I'm so proud of my kids for doing this. I'm so proud of this. This is great. We did this. Nobody gets on there very often. And goes, man. Life sucks right now. Yeah. <laughs> or if they do, people will, like no, you know, there's there's no thumbs up like for that. <laughs> More often, it's people
0: you know who get on to tear other people's great things down. Yes. Yes. I just yes. saw a post about the 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 honor band in the in the Tournament of Roses parade, which I got to teach, and they were. They were great kids. They did a wonderful job in the parade. And I just thought, this person who teaches other children just took time out of his life to put a negative post on Facebook about this group of kids. I was like, what? <laughs> what? How- <laughs> what? I mean, I, I, I would like to call him out by name. I'm not going to, but yeah. he judges and he teaches kids and he's going to use his time to be belittling and and dismissive of a group of students who came from all over the country and worked really hard for a week. Um, I don't get it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so so I think Facebook, and I don't know if if Instagram and Twitter are better, but it's it, it is not reality. I think we tell the kids that, but I think all of us, because we've lived off of Facebook, that was kind of some of our only personal contact with others because we couldn't see them forgot, you know, just forgot that like, um, you know, real life happens and it's not, there's no filter for it. I can't, <laughs> I can't sound really bad and I'll just put a filter on top of this and it'll all be fine and look great. Um, But all that to say that, you know, I, I feel like I've come through the other end of it now and I'm not, I, I, let me, let me first say I'm not healed or better. I just feel like I have a working knowledge of what to do. And I felt like I wish that this would have existed before and I could have listened to it. So let's get to what that is. I think there are three things that you have to do when you feel like a failure. And the first one is discover and admit that you need help, whether that's personal or professional. This could be as simple as, man, my band doesn't play in tune. Okay. If you've worked on it for a season, and they still don't play in tune. You don't have everything you need to make it right. And that's okay. Yeah. Because um, as
0: we've said many times on this program, the, the amount of people who will help you is vastly greater
1: than the amount of people who will blow you off. That's right. You know, but as band directors, we feel we have to be fixers. From instruments to instrumentalists, we're the engineers who make a lot of things go, including emotional stability for ourselves and others. My, when I got, it was the Monday before Thanksgiving, I, I hit an absolute wall and I was in a pretty dark, bad place. And so saying that I needed help in that moment was inordinately difficult. Um, It was, it was a real struggle. And I, I would, I think that it was the hardest part of all this, just admitting I am not going to be able to figure this out. Um, and, and, you know, I, I wish some of my training had come back. I, for some of my leadership sessions, I use Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I think they're brilliant at what they do. And I, I, boy, I hope nobody thinks I'm taking it lightly. Well, you're using that for leadership? Yes, I am, because I think that they have figured a lot of things out, and their success rate for such a debilitating, destructive disease is huge. Um, and they talk a lot about acceptance of yourself first. Not about what you've done, but who you are. And then creating some accountability. And sometimes that accountability is not you have to do more. It's you just have to listen and be willing to do that. And then reconciliation, like how do you make this right for you? Not right in the traditional terms of right versus wrong, but how do you make things go? How do you make things go? And and I'll 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 tell you, Jeff, it's It'll get a little personal. So if we need to edit, then we could. All good. Um, man. I called a the helpline. Um, there's a mental health helpline help line in the state of South Carolina that I found online. And I thought, I need something. So I'm going to call. And it was awful. Oh, no. <laughs> it was terrible. It was a college kid. Who reading said, a script or? Reading a script. And, and I th- honestly, it was like, you know, tell me who I can call. Tell me some next steps. What wh- Who should I talk to? What, well, we need you to tell us what's really going on. Tell us what's. And so for the first time ever, I talked about some things I'd never spoken of before, including some abuse that happened. I said the words out loud. And I'd, I'd always been fearful of that. Because um, it made it real, mm-hmm. you know. And this this college kid was so oblivious; just was like, "Well, okay, let's Google some people in your area." Like, like I hadn't done that already, right? And so it was it was pretty much a disaster. So I come back to work later, and or actually, I called. Um, our second, because our district has a helpline as well. I'd really hesitated doing that, but several districts do. And they have six sessions with this person and you can decide to go further. And I thought that it was a specific person, but they basically go through a service. And so I talked with this person. And once again, I said out loud, all of the things that I was going through and all the reasons I was calling. And at the end Instead of, you know, just talking about that, he started asking about my personal faith at that moment. Mm. And it was <laughs> it was not really what I was hoping for in that place. And so I said, you know, I really would like to stick with the, you know, with this. And not, not those of you who know me, I'm a person of faith. It's not that. But that had some things to do with <laughs> what was causing me some problems. And so I needed someone, I needed to talk about it in a different way. And he refused. Hmm. And, and so it was that, that. Ended him. Yeah. But then finally I found psychology com online, which sounds like it's just a generic thing, but it is kind of the American, um, Society of Psychologists. I can't remember exactly the, the real nomenclature, but it basically is a way to connect with people, uh, with professionals. I mean, not, not people, with professionals. Yeah. And I finally found somebody, and it's been wonderful. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you have not done therapy, you should. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I have,
0: I've had probably three or four therapists in my lifetime and I really needed them. And, and, you know, sometimes I didn't, and, you know, but, uh, I've definitely leaned on a good therapist yeah. every time for sure. Yeah. The other thing, Bobby, um, I read a book, uh, Stephen Arterburn wrote a book called take your life back. And mm-hmm. it, um, I always thought the 12 step program was just for alcoholics. No. Um, but what this book taught me is that no, 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 that's, no, the 12 step program is a way to figure out, oh, hey, something is out of control and out, out of my control with my life and I can take it back. And here's the 12. Here's how the 12 steps can help you take back control over your life. And it was life changing for me. Um, I highly recommend that. book. Yeah. You know, especially for people of faith it it definitely has a, a Christian slant to it. But also um, it it's just a step by step way of asking yourself kind of the questions you were just saying, you know, do I need help? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can I find people t- that I, you know, to trust that can offer me that support?
1: Treating yourself and others with compassion was one of the first things that the therapist I'm working with now talked to me about. I was afraid to talk about anyone in my life because I didn't want it to become a blame game. You know, I knew that I had responsibility for certain things, but I didn't know how to deal with a lot of that stuff. And so figuring that out and trying to, okay, what, why are we where we are right now? What has been the catalyst? You've been carrying some of these things for 30 years. Why now? And it was, I needed to admit I had a problem. And my problem was that I had a great deal of my self-worth tied to my success as a band director. I, think I, I don't think I'm alone. People on just
0: raised their hand on that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I would tell you, I'm still working on it. Like to try to find the balance of what is my job and what is my life is really hard. I've, uh, I haven't figured it out yet and I'm working on it.
0: Yeah. And it's not a, it's not a, uh, probably a lifelong journey to figure that out. I think, um, you know, people go through phases too. Yes, where, where it's more clear than other times in their life. You know, what the heck am I doing, and w- what gives me meaning, and you know, how do I go forward from here? Right. Sometimes well, it's also, easy. Sometimes it's terribly difficult.
1: One of the things that I've found is just perception. You know, when when he talks about what what are these things that are making you feel like failures, and I started listing some things and. He said, I'm looking on the website, though, and I'm looking at the things that you guys have also done. Like, are you ignoring some of the great things that are going on for the few things that are not? And that was a pretty powerful sentence Very, for me. Yeah. Yeah. So so we're getting ahead of ourselves. It took me a while to admit I needed help. But once I finally did, step two was finding people you trust and who can offer support. For me, I needed more of a professional slant on that. You may not. You know, we've talked about mentors. For me, I'm lucky enough to have my wife. Jeff will tell you, you know, personally, I reached out to him and we talked. Um, but it took me a while to get there. It really did. And I I hate it, but I also don't know that there was another way around it. There were, There were things I couldn't say. And, uh, it was just really hard to, to talk about stuff, uh, because, you know, we just want everything to be fine. Um, but the only way that it can be is if you address what's really going on with you. So finding people you trust and who can support you is a pretty major, major way that you can address failure and address, you know, the stuff that's going on and, I think that just and reaching out. most of the time, out, you
0: don't need them to help you fix it. You just need no. someone to listen and uh, have compassion for you and, and, and just validate the
1: fact that you are feeling X, Y, and Z. Right. And you need to find people who are willing to take the time to do it. I made the mistake of trying to talk with some people who didn't have the time. And I'm, I'm not even judging whether they were right or wrong. They just didn't have the time. And so you've got to really be careful as you do that, but you know, admitting you have a problem, finding people who you trust who can offer support—those are two huge things. But I think this last one is the one that I'm on right now, and that is is the biggest challenge of all. And it's uh, committing to change. With the thing, the reason I think that we're scared to ask for help is because we know we're going to have to do things differently. And people, you know, even our students would rather do things the wrong way just because that's what they're used to. How many of us have ever followed a really bad teacher? Now, I, to be honest with you, I have not. But I have seen I've seen teachers come and go who were terrible. And then new directors come in behind them. And there are kids who are like, man, I wish I miss Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so who was terrible before and you've got this great person in front of you, but because they're different, it's really hard. I think we do that with ourselves too. We're afraid to, to get off the couch. Maybe this is an even better example. I think we all have a really old piece of furniture <laughs> that yeah. we love and, and we're, we're not ready to get rid of it. I remember when my wife, when we'd been married for probably seven eight years, she found my high school English notebooks. And she was like, why do you have these? It's because they were important to me. I I worked on those diligently. But why she do you like, still have but them? But why do you still have them? Yeah, exactly. But that's how I am. I, I like, I spend a lot of time with this. And so therefore I don't want to see it go away. Well, I've spent a lot of time with my trauma and my issues. I don't want to see them go away. That seems so, that so counterintuitive, crazy. but I, I don't think I'm out of the norm with that. I think that that's why people are so scared to say anything because they know they're going to have to change. And so before you can commit to change, though, you have to be open to it. Like for me, I really didn't have a choice. I had hit a pretty bad place. There was not a lot of moving forward for me. Uh, until I addressed some of the big issues that were, ha- were out there. Um, but I started thinking about it in a little bit of a different way. You know, we ask students to do this all the time. Uh, I'll use saxophone because it's, it's the instrument that I play. For those of you who ever taught saxophone, one of the hardest things to do is to have a kid start on a low B-flat. It sounds like you're basically punching somebody in a gut in the gut. It just kind of blasts out. Yeah, you, you remember ah. Tyler's a saxophone player. Yeah, that 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 you know dying goose kind of sound that's always there. And yet, when I work with kids, I I struggled with that too. I have a really pretty surefire method that helps kids not have to do that, but it takes me about three weeks in lessons to get them there. And it's all about you're going to do all of these things that seem so counterintuitive, but if you'll just trust me, it will work. They feel like playing something one way, and yet we change it. We we change it to make them feel and be better. But that takes time. We're not. They have to feel unnatural for a little while. It's going to feel really unnatural to you dealing with failure and coming out the other end of that is going to feel really unnatural. You're going to have to really address some of your conceptions, your your concepts about what is failure, like I did. Yours will be different. But you're going to have to feel unnatural talking about what you feel, talking about how you do things, and working through that process. Because I think at the end of it, with every failure that I've ever experienced, I've come out the other side better. I even teach a leadership lesson about failure with two two different sides. Failure is necessary. it It absolutely is. Um, I didn't like how intensely I needed it, but
0: <laughs> I did. It's not a good one to internalize and actually agree with. it's It's not easy.
1: It's not easy at all. but it is it, it especially if we look back over our lives, If you do any kind of reflection whatsoever, you will remember those toughest, those, those greatest successes we've had often were born out of some of our worst failures. But the second half of that lesson, failure is necessary. Failure is temporary. It's so hard to remember that when you're in the middle of it. When, when we were not announced in the 12, time felt like it stopped and i lived in that moment for a long time now but you um
0: chose to live in that moment so, to some extent to some extent it's just so fresh that it's it's all you remember but then you know as days go by you can choose to live in that moment a little bit less and a little bit less sure than, It, it, it doesn't sting. And, and, you know, grief is the same way. That's exactly right. It's just when it's so fresh, like, you know, like, yes, your family right now, it, it's hard to, to, to know that, you know, a month from now it'll sting less.
1: Well, and that's when, when I lost my mom, that's the greatest hurt, single hurt that I think I can, can relate to. Um, and it, it was it was a thing where as time went on it the the sting was gone but I would still tell you two years later it, the memory is there and I haven't even quite gotten to the point of where I'm like oh I feel good about it now because I, I was trying to do that you know um, but in working through therapy it, it it's again treating yourself with compassion it's okay. I think sometimes people make some really bad mistakes. And how do they pick up the pieces after it's done? How do they deal with their own personal failure? And I think the bottom line for all of this is you may not. It's not it's not necessarily a thing that you figure it out, it's just you learn how to live. And in some ways life can get better and in some ways it doesn't. And that's okay. Just trying to find your own personal path, I think, is really important. And, and then finding that path, you know, it goes, I'm, I'm maybe dumbing this down a little too much, but isn't it all about like our, pro, you know, we, we do this um, success, uh, success in our programs, defining success, total program success is this, total personal success has to be defined as well. And it's, it's exactly some of the same things that are there. So, uh, you know, in, in in kind of wrapping this up, I would just say to the band directors that are out there, number one, you're not alone. A- and I hope that something that Jeff and I have said at least helps you recognize that. Like we, we often have told you, you know, it's, not, it's all, not all wine and roses at the caramels and wandos of the world. That's not all wine and roses for the... Jeff Young's and the Bobby Lamberts of the world either. Right. And so when you're feeling like I'm just a bad, and I'm saying this to the people out there that are considering leaving our profession, because a lot of them are. The great the, resignation they're calling it. Uh, and I get it. I do. Like Jeff, I, I see what you're doing is broadening your scope You know, while you're not necessarily in a classroom, you're still going to be teaching like crazy and you're going to be bringing great teachers to even more people than you did before. So I I don't see that as a resignation from our profession, maybe from a building, but not from our profession. But I see people, I see so many financial advisors and real estate agents who are former band directors. And, you know, if that's what you feel like your calling is great, but I'm seeing so many great young band directors get fed up. And I'm here to tell you it, it gets better, but you'll have plenty of these over the course of your career, whether you're a financial advisor or not. Sure. I just think that it's been exacerbated because of the way that education systems have been hit during COVID. So I hope that we can hearten you. And I think,
0: you know, in education, 25, 30, 35 years in education is a long time doing the same thing. Yes, and it is. most people outside of education change jobs more frequently. Yes. And so it could be something, you know, as easy as you need to revitalize what it looks like to teach for you. And that's where right. I was at with, you know, my classroom teaching is I thought, you know, there has to be something else out there that's calling me or that I'm called to do that, Uh, I can make a difference doing and, and that, that did come to fruition. Um, you know, in a meeting that we were in, we mentioned to music for all that this would be a very helpful position to have at music for all and, and that it would help camp and people, everybody associated with camp and they saw the benefit in that. So, right. Um, but also I was to the point where I'm like, if I'm not going to leave classroom teaching, I have to completely rethink everything I'm doing, right? Because the, these kids are different, and they were different even before they went through uh, the COVID year and a half. And so that's where I was kind of at, and I, I was, you know, willing to do either one. Um, I'm, I'm glad I get the opportunity to do this, but I would encourage you know people out there who are thinking I just can't do this anymore. The the course that Bobby and I did together called. Uh, total program success. I think it's a really good reset, and this didn't—I didn't mean for this to be an ad for that, but I—I I believe in what we mm-hmm. what we produced and the content. And you know, if you take six weeks and go through that content that we that we put together, I think you will feel a little bit more uh, at the helm of the ship that you're, you know, chartering.
1: Right. Absolutely. And so, whether it's professional or personal, I hope we've given you some action items. You know, Jeff always talks about, give them some homework. Some homework. Yep. And I think we did that. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't mean for this to necessarily be a sounding board or therapy, (laughs) but it has been good to be able to talk about it. And, um, and I would encourage anybody who's in that place where they don't feel like they can, or they don't have somebody to listen, you know, uh, send us an email. (laughs) <laughs> and we'll we'll at least try to point you in a direction that that psychologytoday.com is is pretty incredible for whatever your need may be but also just just re reestablishing a communication with a mentor or former teacher sometimes just those conversations alone can make all the difference
0: yeah and i guess my homework in addition to you know, maybe finding a therapist or a book uh, that could help you is just to sit down and go, uh, is it worth it for me to get really good at this job in this climate in this year? And what what sort of like time commitment can I put into that? You know, what yeah. what things can I do to completely rethink everything from how kids walk into my room to what I do during during the class period? To make it to where you're all of a sudden like, okay, yeah, I'm in control of this
1: and I wasn't before. It's, it's funny you say that um, because like one of the things that I'm trying to work on is self-work and self-care. And like I, I hate the term self-care uh, you do? just because I, I do. It just I, it's hard for me. That's why it's really hard for me to do that. Like my brain cannot shut off. I have to be listening to something or else it will wander into, oh, wait, we've got that freshman leadership thing that I've got to do. And I, I just can't. I was like, I even wrote in our notes. I wish I could have been like Dr. Strange and gone to some monastery in Tibet to find out what I needed to do. Right. That'd <laughs> but, be amazing. Right. But it was really a thing where I think if I've walked with, spend away. Spend some time with Wim Hof in Poland. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I think it's it's been a greater awareness of time you're not cutting back on things i think i don't th- I, because i think i thought self care meant i need to do less work uh, no it really doesn't um, it's it's not cutting back but rather stepping back and making sure you're caring for yourself and the program and your family like being a great band director takes a great deal of time it just does Being a good band director takes a good amount of time. Being a fair band director takes a fair amount of time. You know, we all have the same stuff that we have to do. I don't care if you're, you know, broken arrow or, you know, broken down arrow, whatever, whatever the school is, we all have the same things. But we sometimes get into we have the worst situation and it's worse now than it's ever been. Every year can't be the worst. Yeah. Just can't can't, but spend time on your craft, just plan, you know, not just planning or doing emails and spend time on reflection. That for me has been pretty huge. I, I have a journal now. I've, I haven't had a journal since I was in high school. Um, but I've, I've kind of kept uh, uh, something that I've written with some pretty significant things. Like when my daughters were born uh, when I got married. I have a, something that I've written in about that. I don't, I didn't journal often, but it was pretty significant stuff when my mom passed away. And I have to tell you, just spending a night reading through that was pretty powerful. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm hoping that the things I'm journaling about now will be just as powerful in 10 years. You ever seen the five minute journal? Yes. that's a It's good great. One. It's great. And even, you know, for some people they do better with like a video blog. There are plenty of things online that you can do that with. Um, you can just do voice memos. You can, you can do all kinds of things. I like hand to paper.
0: I do too. And my yeah. wife and I both have notebooks all over this, this house.
1: Yeah. Hey, isn't that kind of cool to say right now? Yeah. My wife, my wife and I, Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. Well this, has you know thanks for the therapy session, Jeff. I really appreciate it Anytime, and uh, you know that Yeah I do I do <laughs> I, I doing hope it that publicly all, now but this I is, know
0: you know there have been a f- uh, not a few conversations that Bobby and I have had over the phone <laughs> that are very similar to this that aren't yeah. on the air but you know uh, Bobby is there when I need someone to talk to and I'm, I'm here when he needs someone to talk to and yeah. you all need that person too. Yeah, I hope you have a Jeff Young. I'm thankful for
1: you, Bobby. I'm very thankful for you, buddy. And I'm thankful for this podcast. Thankful for all the listeners that have come out to do this. So until next time. I'm Jeff Young. (laughs) And I'm Bobby Lambert.
0: And this has been That Band Life.